0: everybody so happy to be with you I'm back in New Jersey and had wonderful retreats and spiritual counseling training intensive in North Carolina so wonderful to be with a number of Masterful Living participants so grateful when we can be together in person it's such a treat for me so let us begin Week four of building trust and faith. So grateful to place our hands on our hearts and to dive right in here to spirit, consciously connecting and communing with the higher Holy Spirit self to recognize and remember our true nature and our true identity is perfect love. So grateful to open ourselves to an unprecedented, unlimited flow of divine goodness. So grateful to open ourselves to divine insight and inspiration. So grateful and so thankful to make an offering of limited thoughts. We're making an offering of worry, doubt, and fear. We're making an offering of playing small and the habits of distrust. We're placing our faith and our trust in love, in wholeness, in freedom, in joy. So grateful and so thankful to consciously partner up with the higher Holy Spirit Self and to remember and recognize that we already are the perfect givers and receivers of love. We already are whole and complete. We're already as holy as holy can be. And we are grateful to remember this here and now, saying yes to our wholeness. In gratitude, we share the benefits of our trust and faith with everyone because we're one with them. In gratitude, we allow our healing to be. We let it be. And so it is. Amen. 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 Yes, indeed. All right. So diving right in here, ah. trust and faith. So one of the biggest challenges we have is doubt, and. One of the best ways to alleviate doubt is to understand the power of trust. So, in a Course of Miracles, in the manual for teachers, there's a section, uh, chapter four, entitled "The Characteristics of God's Teachers." So, anyone who does the workbook is what a Course of Miracles calls Uh, A God's, one of God's teachers. In fact, it says in the manual for teachers right at the top of chapter one, a teacher of God is anyone who chooses to be one. His qualifications consist solely in this. Somehow, somewhere, he has made a deliberate choice in which he did not see his interests as apart from someone else's. So if you've ever had a moment in your life when you saw your interests and the interests of someone else's, that they were the same. So some small experience of unification, oneness, unity with another human being turns you into a teacher of God if you choose to be one. So the first characteristic of the teachers of God Is trust. And that's why we're talking about it now. And I feel that the section in Chapter 4 on trust, particularly the section A, which is entitled Development of Trust, it's my teacher's manual, page 10 and 11. So it's not even two full pages. I encourage you to read this every day for the next week. If you don't have A Course in Miracles, you can get my free A Course in Miracles app from iTunes for your iPhone or your iPad. If you uh, don't have those, you can also just Google and find the section uh, Development of Trust in the Manual for Teachers. and Perhaps someone will post it in the uh, Facebook group. What it talks about in this section is very helpful and this is why I'm recommending that you read it every day for a week and then to uh read it once a week after that. I think it's really helpful in understanding what's going on in our lives and let's face it, <laughs> we desire to understand what's happening in our lives and sometimes it can seem very difficult. So... In the development of trust section it talks about how first in our awakening experience we must go through what might be called a period of undoing it says this need not be painful but it usually is so experienced it seems as if things are being taken away And it's rarely understood initially that their lack of value is merely being recognized. And this is a big theme in A Course in Miracles. And it's one of my favorite themes in the course. And that is that because it helps me to understand why things are the way they are. So in our spiritual journey, in our journey of Ascension and Awakening, Atonement, we are moving from a place of doing a spiritual practice and studying spirituality in order to have a better life, to doing our spiritual practice, our spiritual study, in order to be ourselves in order to remember our true nature and our true identity, in order to have expanded awareness. That's a very different motivation than trying to get stuff and to be a great manifester. There's nothing wrong with being a great manifester. You know, I've I've learned how to manifest to run a whole ministry. So being a great manifester is extremely valuable, and it's our natural state to be a great manifester. And there's not a one of us that's not a great manifester. The thing is, is are you manifesting what you'd really like, or are you manifesting a bunch of stuff you don't want? Because everyone is a great manifester. It's just many people are fo- focused on what they don't want, so that's what they manifest, what they're focused on, which if it's not what they'd like, that's what their experience will be. So this is very helpful to us in understanding why our life is the way we- way it is, because we don't get what we want in life We get what we're thinking about. We get what we're focused on. We get what we're intending. We get where our attention is. So, if we're doing our spiritual practice in order to get things in this world, we're going to learn that the things of this world will never make us happy. If we're doing our spiritual practice to purify our mind so that we can always be happy and so that we can manifest whatever we'd like, knowing that our happiness does not come from the things of this world. Our happiness comes from being loving, being kind and generous and sweet, being patient Being creative, being insightful, being in the flow of wisdom and beauty and truth, that's where our happiness comes from. Living as our true nature, that's where our happiness comes from. Our happiness comes from being completely compassionate and understanding, having the wisdom to know what everything is for, that is happy making. And that is living as our true self. So we're going to go through a period of undoing. This is what the Teacher's Manual Development of Trust section tells us. And it doesn't have to be painful, but most people experience it as painful. And it's because people don't understand that when there's the undoing, things are falling apart it's because we've placed our value in things that have no value and so if we're prayerful people and spiritual people and we're interested in making the world a better place we're interested in having spiritual expansion but we're egotistically making false idols of our house and our car and our job and our relationships and our body, things are going to fall apart. There's going to be the undoing so that we can see what things are for and hold them in our mind correctly. Because that is the answer prayer. The answered prayer is to see things correctly. Now, in my own life experience, I went through a period of undoing where it felt like everything in my life was falling apart. And it felt like all kinds of betrayals on all kinds of levels. And at the time, it was very painful. And I finally got to the realization of what was actually happening, which was I had made false idols of all these things. And I had to let all of that go in order to have the life that would make me happy. And it says here, The plan will sometimes call for changes in what seem to be external circumstances. These changes are always helpful. When the teacher of God has learned that much, he goes on to the next stage. So that's what happened for me as I realized, okay, all of these things that seem like a disaster Maybe they're actually helpful. And I started to see, yes, these changes are actually helpful, even though I am really attached to having things be the way I want them to be. And not being able to make them be the way I want them to be is excruciating. I started to see, if I get what I want, It's not going to make me happy. It's not for the highest and best. I have to relinquish my attachment to thinking I know what will make me happy and to thinking I know what's highest and best. I have to relinquish my attachment to it. So that's why in Masterful Living, we put real attention on letting go of attachment and recognizing that all attachments which are the cravings and the aversions, the needing, the wanting, the I can't stand that, I hate that. Those two kinds of attachments, which every attachment falls into the category of either craving or aversion. All of it is the cause of our suffering. Attachments are not necessary. So we can... Love our dog without being attached to them. We can love our child without being attached to them. We can love our job without being attached to it. And we can make all kinds of wonderful plans without being attached to them. That is how we move towards spiritual sovereignty, freedom in the mind, and a happy life. So once we go through the period of undoing, we go through a period of sorting out, according to the development of trust. And it says, this is always somewhat difficult because having learned that the changes in our life are always helpful, we must now decide all things on the basis of whether they increase the helpfulness or hamper it. So we're sorting out. Is this increasing the good in my life or is it hampering it is this helpful or not helpful and it it says that the teacher of God will find that many if not most of the things he valued before will merely hinder his ability to transfer what he's learned to new situations as they arise so again we're giving up more attachments it says, because he has valued what is really valueless, it takes great learning to understand that all things, events, encounters, and circumstances are helpful. It takes great learning to understand that everything is helpful. Everything. Including my mother died of cancer. I- including I got fired from my job. Including... Uh, my my boyfriend and I, we're we're not making a go of it. We're breaking up. You know all these things that were so hard for me. I had to realize these were actually helpful to me. But when you're in it, it's pretty hard to see. Well, how can my mother's death be helpful to me? How could her terminal cancer be helpful to me? But it was. It was incredibly helpful to me because in that experience I became extremely vigilant for all judgmental thoughts. I made a pact. I am healing my relationship with my mother before she passes away. I will do whatever it takes and I did and we had a total healing and it was miraculous extraordinary I had faith that it would happen and it did but I had to let go of every attachment I had about myself in my relationship with my mother and my mother in her relationship with me I had to let go of them all and I was able to and that was miraculous and it happened because I was vigilant and highly intentional. So this is why in Masterful Living, I encourage you to write that contract. Keep it very simple. And keep it before you every day. Meaning, keep it fresh in your mind. Memorize it. If you can't memorize what your intention is, and what you're aspiring to, it must not be very important to you. If you aren't able to really keep it right in the front of your mind so that if somebody woke you up in the middle of the night and said, what's your aspiration? You'd be able to answer it immediately because it's a part of your beingness. If you'd like my help with that, just let me know. We can talk about it right now. Because It's keeping that right in front of you that is going to demonstrate to you the power of your thought. So if you look at your life, you can tell what you're thinking. I can look at anybody's life and tell what they're thinking. And anyone can. Because our life is the outpicturing of our thoughts and beliefs and karma, which is our beliefs. So we go through the period of undoing and then sorting out. It takes great learning to understand that all things, events, encounters, and circumstances are helpful. It is only to the extent to which they are helpful that any degree of reality should be accorded them in this world of illusion. The third stage through which the teacher of God must go can be called a period of relinquishment. If this is interpreted as giving up the desirable, it will engender enormous conflict. So for me, it was a period of enormous conflict because I didn't want to relinquish my attachments. I didn't want to release or relinquish my attachments to what I thought things should be what I thought would make me happy, what I thought other people should do, I held so tightly to them that it was very painful for me. And so in that experience, it was deeply healing for me because I came to the awareness, I do not know what anything is for and I don't even know what's going to make me happy. I've deluded myself into thinking I know what will make me happy, but I actually don't know. And so instead of thinking I know and failing, I'm going to relinquish that attachment to thinking I know what will make me happy. And instead, I'm going to focus on I'm willing to be happy. I'm willing to be prosperous. I'm willing to have great relationships. I'm willing to express creatively. I'm willing to be a powerful minister. I am willing to be truly helpful. And to allow the higher Holy Spirit self to guide me. To the manifestation of my intentions. And stop trying to manage, control, and manipulate things. When we're trying to manage and control and manipulate anything, we have no trust in God. Our trust is in our own opinions and judgments. Our faith is in our ability to manage, control, and manipulate. So I'm inviting you right now just to consider something that you've been trying to manage, control, or manipulate. Can you think of something that you've been trying to make happen? What if you could move into allowing it to unfold for the highest and best? So then we go through this period of relinquishment. And Through this, we learn where we anticipated grief and having to give things up, we find a happy lightheartedness instead. Where we thought something was asked of us, we find a gift bestowed on us. And that has been my experience. I thought that giving up my... Attachment to how I thought things should be in so many areas of my life would be painful. Instead, it was actually a huge relief. And once I really gave up those attachments, I started to experience a much higher quality of living. Much more happiness. But you see, I I couldn't know. That's how it would go for me ahead of time. Because it didn't make sense to my ego-identified personality. I had to have trust and faith that if I gave up the attachments and I was vigilant for not reattaching to something new, if I could be in that space of willingness... in the space of being truly helpful, being of service, in the space of high intentionality to serve the light, high intentionality to be loving, to be compassionate, to be generous and kind and patient, high intentionality to be very receptive to abundance and prosperity and love and kindness and generosity from other people. I was willing to put my faith if I could do that, give up the attachments to how I thought they should be and instead begin to really live these teachings to walk the talk and live the love that there would be a healing in my mind. I decided to trust that and have faith in it. And of course, there were many times when I was tempted to be worried or afraid or try to manipulate or control and to fall back into my old ways. But then as soon as I did, I would start to feel the pain of it and the constriction of it. I would start to feel the suffering born of the attachment. And then I would go, oh, just like someone who picks up something that's hot and burns them, they let it go. Okay, that's, that's not going to make me happy. That's going to burn me. That's going to create suffering. Got to let it go. You know, and and I had many experiences where it was almost as if I would let the thing that's burning me go, feel some relief, and then, oh, it's suddenly it's back in my hand again. When did I pick it up? I didn't even notice I picked it up. And that's how it is for a while, that we think we've re- we've forgiven something. We think we've released the judgment. We think we've released the attachment. But we haven't been sincere. Instead, we've been desiring to end our suffering. So rather than cultivate our goal being cultivating a pristine awareness, rather than our goal being cultivating that loving, compassionate, truly helpful heart, our goal has been to relieve our suffering. So when that's the motivation for our spiritual practice, We get a lot of lessons. (laughs) We get a lot of lessons. So one of the challenging things for all of us is to move into that space of, I sincerely desire to know God as myself and my brothers and sisters. I sincerely desire to be in the flow of love, not in order to get something, but to be my true self and to know what it feels like to be free. You see, and the ego thinks that being free means you have lots of real estate and lots of money in the bank, and everybody loves you, and you're famous, and you have a great body, and then you're free. No. (laughs) No, because otherwise, we wouldn't see people who had all of those things turn around and kill themselves. Because they're miserable. Freedom is in the mind. So we set our intention to be free, to be peaceful, to be harmonious, to be benevolent. And then we see how the higher self orchestrates our life to match up with that. But the ego mind thinks no, 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 that's crazy. That's crazy. So we have, to, we have to really be vigilant for the higher self and that's the purpose of our spiritual practice. So in our spiritual practice, we lay a foundation of prayer, meditation in the morning and then the real work is all day long staying in the place of non-judgment. Staying in the place of non-judgment is placing your trust and faith In love. So the period of relinquishment, initially, it feels like, oh, if I let these hopes and dreams, these attachments go, I'm going to be miserable. I'm going to be like a a ship without a rudder. Because my attachments have been my rudder. My opinions and judgments have been my rudder. They've kept me on track the truth of it is they've kept us on a very painful track and we've just been going in circles not really making traction in order to have a real movement we have to surrender and go in the flow and that's what trust and faith is so we have a faith because we trust and trust and trust and trust You know, hundreds of little moments of trust equal a big faith. So then the next period is the period of settling down. And it says, this is a quiet time in which the teacher of God rests a while in reasonable peace. Now he consolidates his learning. Now he begins to see the transfer value of what he has learned. Its potential is literally staggering. And the teacher of God is now at the point in his progress in which he sees in it his whole way out. Give up what you do not want and keep what you do. So this is the bottom line here. Give up what you do not want and keep what you do. What you do not want is attachments, opinions, and judgments. The causes of suffering. Keep what you do want. What you what you desire is that connection with spirit. What you desire is the faith. What you desire is the peace of mind and the harmony and the joy and the freedom. So simple. I I I talk about it as taking out the trash. So the constant offering of the judgments and the opinions is taking out the trash. One of my most powerful realizations was, uh, and I talk about this in the Finding Freedom class, was starting to realize I'd like to to really be focused on God and being loving and spirit and being in the flow of spirit being in the flow of inspiration compassion wisdom creativity clarity freedom these spiritual qualities and i at that time i was spending a lot of time driving in my car and uh i was <laughs> it's funny how spirit works I was driving to and from a job I had and to and from uh, agape, going to classes and being a volunteer and all of these things, and I was spending many hours a week in the car, and I took that time to listen to uh, tapes. I had a tape player in the car, and uh, I didn't have a CD player, so I was listening to tapes and I was singing along with the choir and t- tapes and contemplating, a lot of contemplation. And I remember thinking, okay, God, I'd like to give 80% of my life to God, 80% of my time, energy, and attention to God. I, I only need 20%. 20% for Jennifer, 80% for God. And then... A year later, I'm like, God, 90%. I want to give 90% of my time, attention, and energy to God. I only need 10% now. And I'm thinking, whoa, who would have ever have thought Jennifer Hadley would be interested in giving 90% of her time, attention, and energy to God? What? That is amazing. I couldn't believe it. And I meant it so sincerely. And then another six months go by, and I'm like, 95%. I just need a little tiny piece, just 5% for Jennifer. 5%, Like, and I thought of it like a little piece of land <laughs> in my life. A little piece of 5% out of 100, just a little 5%. And that 5%, what was that for? Well, that was in case I decided I wanted to go smoke crack or go... uh I don't know, to an orgy or suddenly do something crazy or insane that was not for God. I just wanted to be mean to a telemarketer sometime, you know. Whatever I wanted to do, I wanted to have that freedom, that 5% to be me, is how I felt about it at the time. And then after another few months, I realized through my meditation, my practice, and my continuously shedding the judgments and opinions I realized wait a minute I'm thinking five percent I could be bad I could be mean I could be unkind I could be uh zone out and and be ungodly and that's who I really am that's what I was thinking 5% for me 5% to be who I really am or do what I really want to do and I realized I don't that's not me and that's not what I really want to do at all and so I really moved into that space of 100% 100% and in that movement I realized that prior to then I had really been thinking of myself as inherently bad. And this is the thing that I have found with so many spiritual students that I talk with. There's this deep core belief that many of us have had or still have that there's something inherently evil or bad or wrong with us. And so God doesn't really want us anyway, because we're like a bad seed. And so we can work and work and work at all this, but there's nothing we can do about that core evil bad wrongness. What I have found through my own practice, my own walking the talk, is that none of us is inherently evil or bad or wrong. None of us. That is a total illusion. And any sense that that's what our problem is, or that that's true for us, that we're bad or evil or wrong, that can be healed. And if we're willing to heal it, we won't experience it anymore. give up what you do not want and keep what you do. And then it says, when you're ready to go on, you go with mighty companions beside you. And then the next two stages are a period of unsettling and a period of achievement. And it was so helpful to me to read this because I really feel like it is a process of elimination on the way to illumination. And we can see that we're going through this period, these periods of undoing. We're undoing our relationship to our life, undoing all the egotistical patterns. We're sorting out what's valuable, what's not valuable. We're having to relinquish all of our attachments. And it's it can be very unsettling and very disconcerting. This is one of the things that often happens when we really are setting our intention to purify, is that all the things that have been hidden, that have been scary, the monsters under the bed, they become visible they become visible and it can be very daunting the thing is is not to give into the appearances I'd also like to say as a side note (coughs) that if you're not a course student which you don't need to be uh, but you're interested in perhaps looking at the course or studying the course. I really encourage people to look at the manual for teachers. It's uh, much clearer than the text or it's less cryptic than the workbook and the text. So I highly recommend that. I also highly recommend Gary Renard's beautiful book, Disappearance of the Universe, as a way into studying the course now in this period of unsettling it says here uh, and I certainly have found this to be true that the teacher of God must learn to lay aside all judgment and to be very clear about what it is you'd like in every circumstance so instead of going into judgment and opinion To just be really clear what you'd like in every circumstance. And I have to say that being really clear what you'd like. You don't even have to tell anyone, but you can tell them. Being clear about what you'd like without opinion and judgment, without making anybody else wrong, is so helpful. So helpful. Being able to say what you'd like without making anybody else wrong. When we can do that, it's surprising how often we start to get what we'd like. We start to experience what we'd like. Very powerful. All right. So I'm just going to see if anybody has any questions here. Um, I have a, a question that came in from uh, Jenny and uh, she uh, wrote in and she says I'm loving the classes and I feel now that I'm gaining momentum the transformation in my life is truly amazing The classes all feel perfectly timed with the subjects that come up right where I am at. I've been doing the light meditation, the one that's in the workbook with the golden sun in your heart. And she says, and I was curious about whether we feel trust and faith in our bodies. I noticed that I feel so much stronger in trusting myself and have faith in difficult circumstances that it is all unfolding perfectly. Mostly, the physical sensation is around my chest and heart, and it's like a strong presence that is expanding. When I practice Ho'oponopono, I feel my chest lighten and expand. And then she says, on a side note, I just read Zero Limits, which blasted open my mind to a new dimension. Ho'oponopono is my only job now, every day, every moment. And she says, a couple of weeks ago, I also had an experience of a difficult communication with a client who directed attack comments and blame at me, but I did not feel attacked. I just felt compassion because I knew she was struggling with her ego, and I've been there too. I had set my intention to speak to her higher self, and I felt protected by love. Is this how it works? It was amazing. Thank you for sharing your learning. I'm just loving it. All. It's from Jenny. So, do we feel trust and faith in our body? Here's what I can say. So, you're talking, Jenny, about feeling uh, your heart chakra expanding and clearing and opening so that you can be more in the flow of love and wisdom. That's heart-mind congruency is happening. And so, it's not that we feel it in our body, but our mind interprets it as though we're feeling it in our body. (laughs) So, it seems like we're feeling it in our body, but we're really feeling it in our mind. And uh, I have many of the same sensations that you're talking about. It's very common to feel the movement in the heart. And... For me personally, uh my intuition is very clairsentient, sentient, clear feeling, clear sentient. And so I often feel my intuition. So it's it's like insight or information intuition, but I feel it. And it's pretty challenging for me to describe the feelings And how do I know that this feeling means this or that feeling means that? I just know that I know. So I can feel, oh, this is the right thing to do. And I can feel, oh, no, this is not the right thing to do. Or the highest and best thing to do is probably a more accurate description of it. So, yeah, we can feel our intuition, and where to place our faith through our body. Or so it seems, it's really in the mind. Sarah writes in, Dear Jennifer, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about being a parent regarding trust and faith. I have three sons and the oldest is three and a half. And then I have twins of two and a half years old. So the intensity in my home is right now at the highest level it can be. Oh, I can only imagine. God bless you, Sarah. The boys are testing us a lot right now, and it is also very important for them to decide for themselves. They fight often over toys, and the pressure on us as parents are 100%. If we let them wonder about, wander about themselves, around the house. It is a mess. LOL. How can I practice trust in this situation, generally in my parenting? For in my thinking, I also need to show them what is not okay. How can I communicate in a loving way to a three-year-old that I need also need to discipline? Well, and she says, love you beyond words. Alright, I'm going to just take a sip of my coconut water here well kids sat little in my experience it's not we don't put them in charge so they're learning the rules of the house that if we're going to take out this game and play with it, we're going to put this one away. And then when we're done with this one, we'll put it away and we'll get out another one. We're not just going to take out every game in the house and throw everything all over the place because it's a mess. And it's more harmonious to be in an environment that's not a big mess. Or if you are going to take everything out, you're going to put it away before you have dinner, before you go to sleep. And so things don't get broken and and lost, cause especially with kids' toys. There's so many little pieces and parts a lot of the time. And so teaching them that there's a reason why you're doing things the way you're doing them. So you're not just bossing them around. You're always teaching them why. Why is this the way we do it? And that explanation is honoring them. Not just telling them to do something, but inspiring them to do things. And really communicating with that explanation, which I'm sure that you do. Being able to be in a pause, Sarah, where you're inviting inspiration all the time. If you start your day with asking the higher Holy Spirit self to lead you and be in charge of your day, to help you communicate in the most loving ways, and to be wise and truly helpful, it will unfold. And going back to that intention, that aspiration, All throughout the day so that you're not feeling that you have to make everything happen and you have to do everything but that you're being led and guided so then you get to experience trust in being led and guided and what it requires is the willingness to constantly be listening and it's not just an auditory listening at all it's that being open to feeling what is the intuition? Or some people receive their intuition almost exclusively as visualization. And uh, some people, they literally hear a voice talking and communicating. So there are many ways to receive that insight, that intuition, and it's the willingness to feel it, hear it, know it, and to be guided the highest and best. And when it feels difficult and uncomfortable or frightening, then that's when you partner up because you've come undone from the partnership. All right. And we've got Jody writing in. She says, Regarding allowing something to unfold for the highest and best, what does one do in the meantime while waiting? Whatever I go to do, think, say or feel seems like some form of attachment, judgment or opinion. I only experience snippets of peace and they are when I am totally alone. You know, Jodi, that's your starting place. And I can totally relate to that. So the highest and best can be happening now. And so being, in a sense, demanding, I, I'm willing to have peace now. I'm willing to have clarity now. I'm willing to know the highest and best now. I'm willing to find the most loving path now. Working with those willingness affirmations and really staying in that place of cultivating the desire, to be divinely guided now, to be in tune with the infinite now. Cultivating that desire, that willingness, that will shift things. And most of us go through a long period where a huge part of our spiritual work, if you will, is to become very vigilant for those judgments. You know, just like it says in the Course, he must learn to lay all judgment aside and ask only what he really wants in every circumstance. So lay all judgment aside. That's like laying aside everything we ever learned about how to negotiate this world. The thing is, is if we sincerely desire to live that expanded life of love, we'll be amazed at how much happier our life is without judgment and how miserable we are with judgment. All right, we've got Sally writing in here. And then, uh, Alexa, I'm going to go to you. So Sally's written in, I'm in a period of undoing. I often feel great anxiety, indicating that my thoughts are taking me into dark corners of doubt. I realize that I'm clinging to attachments and unconscious beliefs. We speak about how to go through this period of chaos, loss, and fear with greater acceptance and self-compassion. I'm actually aware of judging myself for even asking this question. Any words? Yes. So one thing you can do is, who is the judger? It's not actually you. It's the ego mind. It's those thought patterns. So working with those willingness affirmations, once again, that is going to help you move into that identification with the higher self, the I Am Presence. I am willing. I am willing to have peace right here and right now. Now in the development of trust section what it says is about the period of undoing is this need not be painful but it is usually experienced that way. It seems as if things are being taken away and it's rarely understood initially. That their lack of value is merely being recognized how can lack of value be perceived unless the perceiver is in a position where he must see things in a different light so it says he's not yet at a point in which he can make the shift entirely internally And so the plan will sometimes call for changes in what seem to be external circumstances. These changes are always helpful. When the teacher of God has learned that much, he goes on to the next stage. So things have to be undone before we can recognize, oh, you know what? Now that it's undone, now that it's fallen apart, I can see that it actually wasn't helpful to me. My life is actually improving because those things came undone. So this is what it's saying to us is we won't be able to perceive that until they become undone. So for me, the thing is to move into the place of the relaxed mind, the non-attachment, and to say, you know, okay, it seems like these things are falling apart. Maybe that's for the highest and best. Maybe the thing is not to cling to how it was or how I think it should be, but to stand in faith in this place of saying, everything is working together for my good. I am willing to be prosperous. I'm willing to be loving. I am willing to be creative. I am willing to be supported by the universe. I am willing to be wealthy. I am willing to be compassionate. I am willing to be brilliant. And staying in that place and work with the deep desire of the heart. That exercise in your workbook. I encourage you to see if you can do it five or ten minutes a day? If you're feeling freaked out, what's five or ten minutes a day to help stabilize things and make your life more expansive? So these work with these. I'm not going to give you more. Just work with those. The other thing is is you can speak to yourself By saying, darling, sweetheart, everything is working together for your good. Don't judge things as they are. Make a holy offering. Speak to yourself that way. Darling, sweetheart, everything is working together for your good. And start to really pay attention when you're doing well, if even for a moment, you know, let's say you spill coffee on yourself, but you don't get upset. You're like, oh, things happen. So, uh, I'm, I'm not gonna, but I'm not gonna berate myself. I'm not gonna call myself names. I'm not gonna have it ruin my day. And then, oh, good for you, good for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not letting this ruin my day. That's awesome. So, starting to compliment yourself, pat yourself on the back for making the littlest changes and then it grows momentum it grows momentum because that's the best way and going back to uh Sarah's question about her children that's that's the way to get real progress and get some momentum is to encourage not discourage inspiration and encouragement are much better than Uh, discipline uh, of telling people what you don't want. And so it's about really building that momentum that way through love and kindness to the self. Little acts, little acts of kindness towards yourself. Patting yourself on the back. Saying, oh, look at that. You could have judged them, but you were kind instead. Well done, you. That's exactly what I did. It changed my life. All right, we've got such good questions. And uh, Alexa's raising her hand here, so I'm going to unmute you. Hey there. Hello. Hi.
1: Hi. Um. Well, this is, I think, kind of the um, most expansive <laughs> thing. That, uh, I could possibly be listening to right now. Um, it's so beautiful and everyone's sharing always is exactly, um, on point. But for what came up for me, and it's interesting because it's been a little while, um, to hear, uh, everyone else's comments. But what came up for me was like, how do we know where we are in this process of trust or, or what, what level or where do we need to know or what is it that, you know, we need to work on at this moment in time?
0: Yeah. Well, I would say in a certain sense, you're, the important thing is to just say, well, I'm in the process, you know, -hmm. Um, it's, I don't think it's, really matters where we are in the process to me what's really helpful is knowing oh i i'm in this stage i won't be in this stage forever and here's what i need to know about this stage so that i can move out of it into the next one which will be easier or Mm -hmm. you know i'm I'm making progress you know because Mm -hmm. there there is definitely a difference between What things undoing and then moving into that place of really being able to see, oh, this is helpful and this is not helpful. And then moving into the period of, okay, I've got to let all these things that aren't helpful go. Mm. And, And then into the period of settling down where it's a more restful period. So. Because the good news is, if we know we're in the period of, let's say, where we have to let things go, or we're in the period of uh, sorting things out, that we can focus on the sorting. Okay, let me be really mindful here and discover what's helpful and not helpful. Let me put my attention on that instead of resisting it. Dragging it out and having it be a decade, right? (laughs) You know, because I've done that. You know, where the you know the period of undoing felt like a very long time. The period of sorting felt like a very long time, many many years. So my one of my goals is to help people move through these very quickly with assurance and support
1: yeah um that's that's been a huge thing for me lately has been uh, the, the, like feeling and allowing the trust and knowing that and and it's kind of interesting cuz of course it shows up everywhere and with everyone around mm-hmm. <laughs> um Supposedly, but, um, but yeah, I, I, it, it, I've kind of been guided to reading the manual for teachers and I haven't yet, um, but in your explanation, it, and it helps in that the trusting really goes through these ups and down, these different phases until it levels out. It's kind of interesting that it sounds like there's a couple of phases of it being um, misperception (laughs) or confusion.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So knowing just, you know, like you said, not needing to know where you're at in the phase, but knowing that at some point it will uh, is a comforting thought.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that, you know, we're doing it together.
1: Yeah. Mm Mhm. And I, I really appreciate that. I and I appreciate every single um, person that is on this journey. All, all of us, everyone <laughs> is on this journey. But that yeah. Is, um yeah. It, it, it seems like there's so many decisions. I guess that some sometimes uh, that might be a question that I have too. As that when you when you are trusting when when things are kind of feeling like they're moving and flowing in this. specific You know, this nice way that you're not kind of in the middle of it, but something arises where you need to make a decision and putting it up but to the Holy Spirit and and your higher self and still knowing um, or or coming back to the knowing of what is the direction. It still feels faulty, like that there's... (laughs) It's like a wobbly road type of thing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. um, It's like, I can't kind of tell sometimes if am I supposed to go right or left. It's like this really interesting um, dynamic. And that's why a a couple of the things that you just um, read from the uh, um, development of trust. Really, it's like, oh, you kind of start to get it and then you kind of don't again. (laughs) You kind of do it and then you kind of don't. yeah. Yeah,
0: and you know what? Here's the thing, Alexa. When you when you don't know which way to go, because you know that happens to us all the time. Don't don't we don't have assurance of which way to go? The thing is to really take stock and to take note of. Well, okay, I feel like I'm at a crossroads, and there's several choices. I'm not sure which way to go. Then we tune into well what what's the desire of my heart let me be clear about that you know and there might be 20 desires of my heart you know like let's say in a job situation well the desire of my heart is to be able to pay all my bills and and to uh have savings the desire of my heart is to w- work in an environment that's loving and fun and playful and beautiful. And the deep desire, deep desire of my heart is to work with people I enjoy and feel good about and feel safe with. And the deep desire of my heart is to contribute something beautiful and meaningful and share that my gifts and talents. And the deep desire of my heart is to feel appreciated and understood. And the deep desire of my heart is to always be expanding creatively. And the deep desire of my heart is to uh, have it be convenient, to that my workplace is convenient to my home. And the deep desire of my heart is to feel that there's uh, longevity. And, you know, really like, okay, these are all the deep desires of my heart. And... To be able to say, okay, I'm at this crossroads, I'm not sure which way to go, but these these are my intentions, these are my aspirations, these are the deep desires of my heart. Higher Holy Spirit Self, make it plain, make it clear, Leave me, guide me, show me, and then to have some patience. And, you know, might be an hour later or a day later or a week later that you're walking down the street or chopping some onions or taking a bath, and all of a sudden it comes into your mind. That's the thing to do.
1: And
0: And you'll know when you know. And the thing is not to have doubt in the meantime, but to have trust that it will be revealed in perfect timing. And I'm, I'm going to talk for a while now on doubt.
1: Great. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Thank you. All right. So take another sip of my coconut water. So in the manual for teachers, there um there's Chapter Seven is called "Should Healing Be Repeated?" And it talks about doubt in here. I think it's uh quite helpful to us and in paragraph three it says um, well, at the end of paragraph two, it says, "Having offered love." Only love can be received. So when we stay in that place of offering love, then love is the only thing that's going to come back to us. It's the only thing we're going to receive. And it says, It is in this that the teacher of God must trust. That having offered love, only love can be received. This is what is really meant by the statement that the one responsibility of the miracle worker is to accept the atonement for himself. Now to accept the atonement for ourselves, what does that mean? It means we're accepting that there never has been a separation. There's one life, one mind, one power, one presence. There always has been and there always will be. So Trust is how we get to the atonement. The teacher of God is a miracle worker because he gives the gifts he has received. We give the gift of love because that is what we are. We've already received it. But we have to accept that we're only love. We have to accept our wholeness and perfection first. And then it it says... He need do no more, nor is there more that he could do. So you see, this is our only work, is to accept that we are made in the image and likeness of love. We are love, perfect, whole, and complete. We always have been, and we always will be. Every other thought about ourselves as lacking or limited, Is false. So our prayer is to let go of everything that's false. Everything that has no value. Let it fall away. And then watch. Where are you attached? You're craving. You're wanting. You're needing something. That's not actually helpful to you. It says. By accepting. Healing. He can give it. So by accepting healing we can share it if we doubt this let us remember who gave the gift and who received it so God has given us this gift and God is the one that receives it because God is what we are so then it says uh, uh, in paragraph four one of the most difficult temptations to recognize is that to doubt a healing because of the appearance of continuing symptoms is a mistake in the form of lack of trust so in the prayer power classes i talk about leave it on the altar don't take it off the altar so that it's very tempting we we have a situation it's difficult it's very challenging and we pray To put it on the altar, we pray, we leave it on the altar, we put it on the altar. God, I'm giving you this problem, I don't have any problems. All my needs are met in God, I have no problems, everything is is good. I'm surrendering my belief in the problem. I'm surrendering my attachment to the problem. I'm surrendering investing in the problem. As it says in A Course in Miracles, we only have one problem, and that's we believe something that's not true. We believe that we're separate from God, and it's not true. Since it's not true, we actually have no problems. But our belief in separation shows up as financial challenges. Our belief in separation shows up as relationship issues. Our belief in separation shows up as body issues health issues. Every single problem that we think we have, the solution to it is to realize there can't be any problems unless we believe we have a problem. Unless we believe we're separate from the flow of love and the flow of wholeness, the flow of healing, the flow of joy, the flow of abundance. When we believe that we're separate from that flow, then we seem to have a problem. So this is where our work is, is to place our faith in the flow in order to experience the flow. If we place our faith in lack and limitation, we're going to experience lack and limitation. Why? Because our mind is the mind of God, wherever we place our attention, we're going to have experience and feeling and thought. If we place our attention in love, we're going to experience the expansion. If we place our attention in limitation, we're going to experience limitation. It's up to us where we place our attention. So, one of the most difficult temptations to recognize is that to doubt a healing because of the appearance of continued symptoms is a mistake in the form of lack of trust. So, we place our issues on the altar. Course of Miracles teaches us that the greatest gift that we can give to spirit to our own higher Holy Spirit self, to God, is to place our problems on the altar and allow the universe, God, love, to transmute the limiting thoughts and beliefs and heal a problem. And our temptation is to say, I place that on the altar, but nothing's happening. Seems like God has left the building and left me on my own. Now I've got to struggle with this problem. Because I put this on the altar last week. I put this on the altar last month. I put this on the altar last year. But nothing's happening. I'm going to have to work on my own to make this right or to solve this problem. Or to fix this. Or to bring it about. Sometimes we have to leave things on the altar for a long time. In faith. Because leaving it on the altar in faith. Builds the faith. Builds that trust. Works it out to not go into doubt can be very tempting to go into doubt. And that temptation to go into doubt, that's where we can build our spiritual muscle and say, nope, nope, nope. I'm cultivating trust and faith. I shall not be moved into doubt. And uh that's the 29th psalm or 23rd psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm cared for, I'm provided for. I won't give in to those appearances, I won't doubt. Now, it says here that the lack of trust is an attack. But usually it seems to be just the opposite. It does appear unreasonable at first to be told that continued concern is attack. So we lay it on the altar. It's not coming to fruition. And it can seem like... Continued concern, like, well, what's happening? Why is it not coming to fruition? You know, the farmer's planting the seeds in the field and nothing's growing. You know, it, to have doubt is lack of trust, which is a form of attack. This is what it's saying. And it does seem unreasonable at first to be told that concern, I'm concerned my field is not going to grow, that that could be attack. Because having concern could seem like love, could seem like caring. Think of you've got a loved one and you're concerned about them. You're concerned that They don't have the intelligence to make good decisions for themselves. You're concerned that they're not taking good care of themselves. You're concerned that they're making decisions that are detrimental to their health and their well-being. That's love. To the ego, to the spirit, it's a form of doubt, which is a form of attack. It's really, the doubt is really looking at the person From a spiritual level and saying, you don't have what it takes, you're making mistakes. You're not good enough. You're wrong. You're bad. You're ruining your life. It's a form of attack. Instead, we're training our mind to hold in faith The highest and best is the only thing that can unfold and we're accepting it. We're allowing it. We do not have to manage and control it because we have trust and faith in love. It says here, Love without trust is impossible and doubt and trust cannot coexist. Very important. Doubt and trust cannot coexist. Love without trust is impossible. Now, here's, here's the thing when we place our trust in somebody's ego, our faith is misplaced. We only put our faith in God, in love. So when we place our trust and faith in somebody else's ego, what they say they're going to do, those kinds of things, then we're not actually placing our trust and faith in love. We're placing it in the person's personality, in their ego. And very often their ego will let us down. Think of your own ego and how many times your ego has let you down think of how many times you have said you've made a vow like i'm not going to eat any of those brownies and the next thing you know you've eaten half of them think of how many times you've said i'm going to work out tomorrow and then you didn't work out for the next week think of how many times you've said I'm not going to smoke another cigarette. And then you have three, four, five. Forget it. It doesn't even matter anymore. I've already broken it. Yeah, how many times have we done these, all these things, you know, where I'm not going to have sex with them again. And then, oh, there it is. You've done it. You're craving it. You're wanting it. But we all have these things. So then we feel untrustworthy. Many times I've seen counseling clients who were very upset that other people betrayed them. But when you look at their life and the choices that they're making, what seems like a betrayal from someone else is really just a reflection of their own self-betrayal. Of placing their trust and faith in their ego, somebody else's ego. So, wherever you feel like you've been betrayed, look at where did you place your trust. If you placed your trust and faith in your ego, somebody else's ego, you haven't been betrayed. This is the period of where you're sorting things out what's valuable what's not valuable placing your trust and faith in your ego or somebody else's ego is not valuable placing your trust and faith in love is valuable so rather than think you're an idiot a loser these things always happen to you it's such a mystery why does it keep happening you're in that place of undoing these patterns and sorting out what's valuable what's not valuable goes on to here here to say And this is in uh, the Manual for Teachers, Chapter 7, Should Healing Be Repeated? Paragraph 5. The real basis for doubt about the outcome of any problem that has been given to God's teacher for resolution is always self-doubt. So if you think you're doubting God, you're doubting yourself, only yourself. And that necessarily implies that trust has been placed in an illusory self, which is the ego, for only such a self can be doubted. This illusion can take many forms. Perhaps there's a fear of weakness and vulnerability. Perhaps there's a fear of failure and shame associated with a sense of inadequacy. Perhaps there's a guilty embarrassment stemming from false humility. The form of the mistake is not important. What is important is only the recognition of a mistake as a mistake. The mistake is always some form of concern with the self to the exclusion of the patient. It is a failure to recognize him as part of the self and thus represents a confusion in identity. So if you're working with uh, a patient, (laughs) or it just could be your, your brother or your sister in this world, the concern is not for them. It's for yourself. For yourself. And where you're placing your trust and faith. Where your identification is. And it says, conflict about what you are has entered your mind. And you have become deceived about yourself. And you are deceived about yourself because you've denied the source of your creation. You've denied your perfection. You've denied your wholeness. You've denied that your mind is the mind of God. Because of being tempted to doubt. If you're offering only healing, you cannot doubt. If you really want the problem solved, you cannot doubt. If you are certain what the problem is, you cannot doubt. Doubt is the result of conflicting wishes. Be sure of what you want and doubt becomes impossible. Okay, so this is really key here. Be sure of what you want and doubt becomes impossible. Remember how in the manual for, in development of trust section it says, your whole way out of suffering is give up what you do not want and keep what you do. So, be sure of what you want and doubt becomes impossible. This is the key to trust and faith. To hold before you the one desire, awakening, atonement, ascension, freedom, restoration of your mind, the elimination of the false identification. So going back to what I was saying earlier, if you're doing all this work to try to get something... You're affirming every step of the way. If you're doing this work to try to get something, you are affirming every step of the way that you don't already have it. And therein lies your doubt and your problem. So our work is to have faith that we've already been given perfection and wholeness. The Christ presence is our true identity. Having faith in that, willingness to see and know and feel and hear it revealed in our awareness that it is being revealed, it is happening now. Nothing can prevent our awakening. We are choosing that above all else. And we're placing our trust in love. That's the whole enchilada right there. So begin to be very mindful of when you're giving to get with God or anyone else. Because then there's doubt. Then you're trying to manipulate. If you're trying to manipulate, then you don't have faith. And you'll start to see, as you're sorting things out, you'll start to see, oh, okay, yeah, I don't have hardly any faith. My faith is all in judgment and opinion and ego. Well, I can shift that. I'm going to start trusting love as an experiment. And see what happens. The more you do, the more healing you'll have. It's really up to you. It takes great willingness. It takes great willingness. And it is so much easier to have great willingness than it is to continue to suffer and to feel confused and lost and frightened. And I've been consistently amazed at how fast people can turn their lives around when they're willing to be vigilant and place their trust and faith and love. And to recognize doubt for what it is. So, well, it's wonderful to be able to work through these uh, aspects of trust and faith together. It's very uh Empowering. All right, we're way over time here. Uh, we've got a few comments here. Maggie writes in, Can you speak specifically to resentment as an attachment and common things we may value out of resentments? I'm amazed at how much resentments keep surfacing. It feels like unforgiveness. I would like to learn what the lesson is so I can stop repeating the pattern. So resentments are just one form of judgments and opinions. It's how you're blaming other people rather than taking responsibility for your life the way it is and recognizing that there's a perfection in the way it is. So resentment is a way of rejecting God. Really, it is. And staying identified with the ego so the 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 way out of that is all the things that we've been talking about. It's the willingness to see correctly and to take responsibility above all else. I am responsible for what I see and everything is just as I wish it would be. <clears throat> the responsibility for sight section Page 448 in the text if you're a course student. Shelley writes in, I wanted to comment about Jenny's remarks. These classes are so amazing to me also. A few days ago, I experienced a rather strong sensation in my heart that felt like anxiety, fear, and panic. I continued to pause and pray several times before I took any action and did this over and over. It just seems to me I am pushing through cement. My mind wants to keep going back to the past. I recalled a remark you made about, don't look back. Finally, 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 it came through to me after a rather emotional moment. Don't look back, Shelley. Look forward. I believe that I have finally surrendered, or at least, at the very least, I'm willing to let go and be divinely guided, and I'm willing to follow that guidance, and I'm willing to continue to move forward. I am loving this class more than I can possibly say. And then she's got like six exclamation points. Thank you so very much, sweet Jennifer. Well, thank you, Shelley. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for your willingness. And what... What I'd like to point out to you, Shelley, is that feeling of freedom and expansion and gratitude that you have the It's darkest right before the dawn, and it's most difficult right before the breakthrough. So if it feels really, really difficult to choose love, to surrender, to have faith, know that don't give up, don't look back, don't give up, be willing. Because that incredible tightness is what it takes for you to have a breakthrough, to be finally willing to say, I am practicing love, compassion, forgiveness, patience, willingness, no matter what. And that's what brings the breakthrough. It's breaking through the density of the ego attachment. Love is our healer. And when we choose patience, kindness, generosity, willingness, we are choosing love. We will have a healing. And do not question whether or not the healing has occurred or needs to be repeated. Have faith that the seeds are germinating, even though you can't see them rising up above the soil yet. It's like the farmers planted the seed. The farmer doesn't go out and dig the seeds up and look to see if they've germinated. The farmer has faith. Let us have that faith. Alright, so I'm going to say a prayer and play a song. Let's take that breath of love and gratitude together. Thank you for your great willingness, your beautiful listening. I love these trust and faith classes. So powerful so powerful. So we're grateful and thankful to join together in love. We're grateful and thankful to lay our burden down. We're grateful and thankful to cultivate a strong faith. And that is our mission. It's happening now. What I know for us is that We have the faith of God. We have the strength of God. We have the love of God. We have the light of God. We have it all. All of it is pre-installed. I'm grateful and thankful to affirm that we're laying on the altar all belief in problems, all belief in lack and limitation, all the ways that we value attack and separation. We're surrendering them all and we're opening To a full realization of our true nature and seeing that in our brothers and sisters. So grateful, so thankful to allow our healing to be. So grateful and so thankful to share the benefits with everyone because we're one with them. In gratitude, we know it's done. In gratitude, we simply say, and so it is. Amen, amen, amen. All right, and the song that I am playing this week—it's—it's it's a bit of a long one, so <laughs> you'll have a long uh, recording. But I love this. It's a—it's a montage, I guess. I no, can you do a song montage anyway? Um, two songs and uh one is um it's a version of there's that song you're the best thing that ever happened to me god's the best thing that ever happened to me and then the the song is uh don't move the mountain so god's the best thing and don't move the mountain together uh sung by nikki harris and uh i love these these two so I hope you love them too. Enjoy.
2: I love you. Mother No